0: all states. Portions of the following program may be pre-recorded. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
1: Come now, fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy ever-ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mountains I'm fixed upon, mountains of god Of it.
2: Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. Ezekiel, the 15th chapter, beginning with verse 1. The the word of the Lord comes to Ezekiel. It's not a very comfortable word. In fact, it's a terrifying word. He begins by saying, Son of man, this is God speaking to Ezekiel. How is the wood of the vine better than any wood of a branch which is among the trees of the forest? Always the children of Israel are referred to as a vine and branches. We need to look at this. It's very clear to me as we consider this that America has believed that it was the best. We have a very strong patriotic sense that America is number one in the world. That's not how the Lord looks at it. When we arrive, if we do, in that wonderful promised land of heaven, there will be no American flags. There will be no attitude of make America great again. America will be in the dustbin of history, a failed nation. We are not a righteous nation. We are utterly unrighteous. And the church in America is equally unrighteous. The world and the church have joined together as one in the American church. This is not new. The same thing happened with the children of Israel. They thought they were the best. But God comes and asks Ezekiel, is the wood of the vine better than the wood of a branch among any of the trees of the forest? In other words, can wood be taken from it to make anything, or can men take a peg from it on which to hang any vessel? Does a vine have the strength to hold up an article in the kitchen? No, we never make a peg, out of a vine. Have you ever seen a shelf made out of a vine? Have you ever seen a table made out of a vine? No, we don't make tables out of vines. We make them out of oak or maple or cherry, but not a vine. Now, the Lord goes further. He says, if that vine has been put in the fire, and the vine has been consumed on both of its ends, and its middle part has also been charred, is it then useful for anything? And of course, the answer is no. No. Behold, while it is intact, it is not made into anything. How much less, when the fire has consumed it and it's charred, can it still be made into anything? I want you to very clearly see this. The church has pretended that it's an oak tree but to God, it is just a branch of the vine. It has no strength. It has nothing to make of itself in the world. And of course, we have, in America, made the church into something other than a vine. We've made it into a a peg, a table, a chair, a house, but you don't build a house out of vines. We have tried to make the church into a successful business. And in many places, they have successfully accomplished this task. And the church is a very prosperous business. It is an institution. And we build great buildings magnificent edifices and say this is holy this is sacred this is God's no it's not God never never calls the church an oak he doesn't call the church something that has strength in itself the church in America stands today on its own strength it has the programs all outlined. I remember I was in seminary, and I kept asking my professors, what is the task of a, of a pastor? What's my job title? What's my description? And they couldn't tell me. This was 60 years ago. They couldn't tell me because we were in a very interesting transition time. Pastors were no longer prophetic preachers. They were no longer to confront their congregations with sin. They were no longer to primarily call the congregation to righteousness. If you go back and you look at Charles Finney, you go back further and you look at what Jonathan Edwards did at his church where he refused to allow the half-converted to participate in the Christian activities. Well, the church made a transition, and it transitioned into what we call relational theology, so that now everything has to be looked at through the the lenses or the glasses of how does this make me feel? Am I happy with this? Am I comforted by this? Am I Am I encouraged by this to, to press on and become an accomplished artist or to press on and become an accomplished businessman? Or everything was about accomplishing your dream. And so at that point, men began to turn toward church growth, began to do investigation into what does your community want in a church well we don't want offerings taken okay we'll get rid of the offering we don't want we don't want the cross so let's move the cross out of the church let's make it neutral let's make the church neutral ground where where everyone is welcome and let's begin to do friendship evangelism and then all kinds of programs came into existence. And the primary task of the preacher was to be a program manager. It quickly became apparent to me as I, as I began to pastor a church that I needed to have community programs. And so I got together with a high school teacher in the local high school in Dubois, Pennsylvania. And we opened a, a coffee house. And the kids flocked to it by the hundreds. It was the most popular place in town. And, of course, we did sets of music, secular, rock and roll, all kinds of music. And the excuse was we have to do these things to bring people to the coffee house, so we can then begin to evangelize them with friendship evangelism. And we served wonderful food. and It was a rock and roll place. But it wasn't God's. It wasn't his will. I became very well known for coffeehouse ministry at that point and small group ministry. And I began to do workshops and seminars on conflict resolution and other important issues in the church. And pastors by the hundreds came to the workshops. And of course, that opened the door for me to... Begin to go to many different places as a motivational Christian, motivational speaker. Talk about how you can do great things for God. I was a part of the institutional church. I can tell you now, I'm only sharing these things with you to say, I can tell you now it was all foolishness. It was empty. It was dead. The church was dead. And the church in America is dead. One very famous preacher, if I named him, you would know him, said, The American church is pregnant and we're ready to give birth to a wonderful revival. Nothing could be further from the truth. He's lying. The church is not ready for revival. We pray, but it becomes a social deal. It's not prayer of conviction. It's not prayer of weeping. I'm deeply troubled by this. I I talk about it with you, but, but I'll tell you if you'd seen me. An hour ago, you would have seen tears streaming down my face. Because as I look at the world and its wickedness and the total lack of success on the part of the American church, and I look at the American church, all I can do is weep. Because we are that that vine that has been burned in the fire, and we're useless. We're charred. Therefore, says the Lord God, as the wood of the vine among the trees of the forest, which I have given to the fire for fuel, so have I given up the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I set my face against them, though they have come out of the fire, yet the fire will consume them. Then you will know that I am the Lord when my face is against them and I will make the land desolate because they have acted unfaithfully declares the Lord God I could just as easily read this therefore thus says the Lord God as the wood of the vine among the trees of the forest which I've given to the fire for fuel so have I given up the American church to the fire and I have set my face against the American church. He has set his face against us. And there is really only one answer or one solution to this desperate problem that we face. And that is deep, heartbroken confession of sin. deep conviction of how utterly unrighteous we have been before his throne and how given to the world we have been as the American church. The American church has gone long with the abortions. Now, not everyone, I praise God, some of us have stood against abortion. many years ago it almost cost me my job fortunately the one who was standing in opposition left and I remained standing against the abortion of a free medical clinic that our church was running the church has not stood against homosexuality transgenderism And slowly, these things are morphing into pedophilia. The church is not standing against it. Some brave pastors have spoken out, and they've paid a price. We have gone along with mandates and jabs. We've gone along with shutting down the church, while Costco remained open and Walmart remained open. those things they considered essential. The church is not essential. It has allowed itself It's allowed itself to be cast out. I can tell you now no mandates would have happened in America and no lockdowns would have happened if the church had stood up and said, absolutely no, we say no, put us all in jail. They don't have enough jail space to put us all. They would have backed down. We're in trouble. We're casual. We're indifferent. We're arrogant, we're proud. We're like we're like the Jewish people. And God has turned his face against us. Now you can continue to push for your institutional righteousness. You can continue to do all of your programs. You can continue to be an institution of influence in the society. But you're dead, twice dead. And God is going to put the church in America in the fire. Some will come through that and be like gold tried in the fire. But most will go along with the mark of the beast, and whatever else the world says you must do and be to be acceptable to us, you know what? I have no interest in being acceptable to the world. I have no interest in the people of the world approving of me. I am going to follow the Lord Jesus. I am going to do what Jesus has asked me to do. I'm not going to compromise. And some of you will be deeply offended again by this broadcast as you have by many others. If you listen this week, I'm going to talk later in the week about Sodom and Gomorrah. But just a foretaste. Sodom and Gomorrah burned. And why did they burn? because they utterly rejected the word of the Lord. We'll go into the specific reasons, but you'll find that those same reasons are present in America. And God is going to burn America. Now I hear people saying, prophetic type people saying, oh, a great renaissance is coming to America, a great time of success and prosperity No, it's not. No, it's not. I hear some very well-educated, very thoughtful people saying, We're going into a time, most difficult time America has ever gone into. Our economy will totally crash. Our dollar will be destroyed. But we're going to struggle and fight our way through this. And we'll come out the other end stronger and better and and without the corruption. I wish that were true. I don't find that in the scriptures. There's another option and that is that a great revival would come and all of America would turn back to the Lord. And the Lord could then bless America once again. For he is compassionate and long-suffering. And he will relent from bringing his judgment. The Lord has not told me that will happen. He has told me that a remnant will be saved out of America. That he will deliver a remnant. Not wholesale. And then there is another, there is a third option, and that is that America is going to burn, Antichrist will rule, and Jesus is coming again. And that's the scenario I believe is the true, true picture of Revelation. And we'll deal with that later this week, Revelation 18. But let's come back to this question of the vine. And of course, the main passage in the New Testament that deals with this question of the vine is the 15th chapter of the book of John. And we've talked about it many times. But I want to go a little deeper today and in a bit of a different direction. It begins with Jesus saying, get up, let's go. I'm going to obey the Father, and he knows he's going to his crucifixion. So as they're walking toward the Garden of Gethsemane, he begins to teach them. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away or he cuts off. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may be more fruitful. The picture we have is a vine, a strong vine, but a flesh vine, Jesus, on his way to crucifixion, the God-man but no strength of his own. He does what the Father tells him to do. And he's saying, you are the branches. I'm the vine, you're the branches. And if you don't bear fruit as one of my branches, you're going to be cut off. And if you do bear fruit, You're going to be pruned. You're going to be cut either way. So the first cut is for removal of a dead branch that's not bearing fruit. And I'll show you in a moment. It's cast aside and then it's put in the fire. But what fruit is it that the branch is to bear? Well, a a grapevine... A branch of a grapevine is not an oak tree that stands up strong in the wind. Rather, it trails along and it produces grapes. And grapes are pleasant to eat. And the vine also produces. Grapes that can be made into raisins as a sweet treat. And then the grape can also be crushed and made into a wine that's wonderful to drink. This is all the option that is available. These are all of the options that are available For a Christian, the Lord wants you to bear fruit. And that fruit that he's looking for in your life is righteousness. The grapes that God wants to pick from your life, the grapes are righteousness and justice. Remember back in the story where Sodom is spoken of, where God comes, the Father through Jesus comes to Abraham. And he says, should I hide from my servant Abraham what I'm about to do? And he says, no. These are the private inner thoughts of God. No, I I better not hide it from him. He's going to become a great nation. And he's going to raise his family in righteousness and in justice. These are the inner thoughts of God as he deals with Abraham. Righteousness. Justice. These are God's thoughts all through the scriptures. So when we come to this, we are to bear fruit. And the fruit we are to bear is the fruit of righteousness, of holiness, of service to Jesus. The greatest service you can render to Jesus is not some human flesh program, but it's ministry to the heart of Jesus It's doing what he asks us to do. It's walking in obedience in the spirit by the blood. It's walking in righteousness and justice. Let me read further. Abide in me or remain in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. You can only be righteous as the blood of Jesus works its way through your heart and your veins. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit for apart from me, You can do nothing. You know, I want to just please come and say to you, I can do nothing for Jesus. I am nothing. All that I am is by his grace. All that I speak to you by the Holy Spirit is by his grace. Have you ever Have you ever heard of a vine that is producing wonderful grapes and a wine is made of it and a label is made for the wine bottle Have you ever heard of people coming then and and talking about the the branch and saying look how wonderful this branch is look at the wine it's producing look at the grapes it's giving this is a wonderful wonderful branch no of course not have you been to a winery the master's name is on the bottle nobody is looking at the single branch They're looking at the one who prunes the branches. They're looking at the gardener, the owner of the vineyard. And so it is. God is not intending for us to become great and famous. He's not looking for us to be sought after. No, it's to point to to jesus and he's the one we seek after we don't take any pride to ourselves sometimes people will say to me pastor you're a celebrity you're on the radio no it's jesus on the radio i am only here to speak his words it's not me i spend a great deal of time in prayer and study and waiting before God to determine what should be said today as I listen to the Holy Spirit. This is not the message I'd planned for today, by the way. I planned to go to Sodom and Gomorrah today. The Lord said, no, it's Monday. Go first to the vine and the branches. Okay, Lord. Notice verse 5. This is John 15, verse 5. It's not God who gathers the branches. It's the workmen in the field. They gather these branches that have been cut off by the vine dresser, the father. And they dry up and they wither. Well, that's what's happening to the church in America. We are dried up and we have withered. And we're about to be thrown into the fire as a church. As an American church, we're about to be thrown in the fire because we have become useless to Him. We're not bearing the grapes of righteousness, of holiness. We're bearing the the fruit of building great churches, we're bearing the fruit of doing wonderful programs having concerts of having educated pastors who, who speak in a very poetic and beautiful way about the human condition and the poetry of the human heart about the sports and about all the, the world stuff. When was the last time you heard a preacher stand in front of a congregation and say, Church, we're dead. We've got to come and we've got to repent before God. No, of course not. The church would clear out. Everybody would be gone. The budget would be blown out. The church would close. Well, the church is going to close in America. America. Because God's judgment is coming upon it. You understand, God's judgment on the church is also God's judgment on America. They are inseparable. They have become intertwined as one.
0: But pastor, we love each other
2: and we love Jesus. And and everything's going wonderfully in our church. And and we even have some signs and wonders. Oh, but are you walking in holiness? Are you walking humbly before God? Are you caring about justice and righteousness? Well, no, not really. That's That doesn't work in the church. No, it doesn't. Because the church has turned to the world and become like the world. And so it's not acceptable to talk about holiness in the church today. Instead, we want to approve every unclean thing. We want our women to come in dressed like little prostitutes. Our men come in with bravo and strength. And I believe in this but no compassion in their heart and no righteousness in the way they live. They have doctrines they hold to and some of those doctrines are correct and some of them are lies from the pit of hell. But the church is not abiding in Jesus in America. Now there may be some churches that still have some remnant of holiness. And there may even be some churches where the pastor is still preaching a straight, honest word. But believe me, they're very rare. It's not common. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish And it will be done for you. In other words, if we would walk in righteousness, if we would walk in justice, we wouldn't be going to the bank to borrow money to build a church. We wouldn't be going to Pharaoh for funding of God's work. We'd be waiting upon Jesus humbly. Verse 6 If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. American church, we're about to be burned and cast out. That breaks my heart. It's not what I want for the church. I love the church. And and Jesus loves the church. But it comes to a point where he says, Okay, enough. No more. I'm going to burn you. And he's going to burn America. And he's going to burn the church along with America. God's judgments are coming like a freight train. On America right now. Food shortage. Starvation. Pestilence. An end to prosperity. We're in trouble. If you haven't recognized the trouble we're in. You have not been looking at the news. It's on the front pages of every newspaper and every every newscaster. The question is, what are you going to do about it? I have to come back to Romans, the sixth chapter, verse six. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. In other words, Jesus has given us a way of escape. And the way of escape is for the old man of sin to be crucified with Jesus. Have you been crucified with Jesus and have you remained day by day taking your cross and following Jesus? I met this morning with a young person who said to me, Pastor, there are things in my life that I know are wrong. I still love the entertainment of the world. I still turn to the music of the world. I know it's not right. I know it opens doors of darkness. I know it's evil. But I can't seem to help myself. I have to get through this. Well, there's only one way to get through it. And that is by coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, I have to be crucified with you. Now, let me be specific. The crucifixion will become deeper and deeper as we move along in this Christian life. One of the things that I've had to deal with in my heart is my deadness. There is yet a deadness in my spirit. There is yet a deadness deadness in my body. There is yet a deadness in my mind. I'm coming to life, but it's taking time. And I don't have time. It has to be done now. This deadness of heart is a great temptation than to go into some human resolution to comfort my heart. And I have made a covenant with the Lord that I will not allow the deadness of my mind or my spirit or my body I will not allow it to lead me into sin. I crucify the deadness. Now, if you don't understand what I'm talking about, you're out of touch with yourself. I have yet to meet a man or a woman who who does not have deadness in their mind, in their spirit, in their body. Jesus came to give life and life more abundantly. That abundant life comes through obedience to the Holy Spirit's commands, doing what he asks us to do. That obedience does not come through emotional games or giving way to the flesh. He says, for he who has died is freed from sin. Verse 8, this is Romans 6, verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. But the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all but the life he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. Let's be honest. We want to live. And Jesus calls us to die. He calls us to let the flesh, the desires of the flesh, the sexual desires of the flesh, the, the appetite desires of the flesh. The You know, I did something foolish. I love rhubarb pie, and so I found a store where they make fresh rhubarb pie. So I went and bought A rhubarb pie. And within two days, I'd consumed the full pie. Well, that wasn't good for my body. It wasn't an honor to Jesus. It was a lust of my appetite. I had to repent of that and say, Lord, I won't do that again. I'm done. No. I'm going to treat this body like what it is. It is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to destroy it with sugar or some favorite food that I want. You see, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. The word righteousness, dikasune, it just means innocence. It means you're not guilty. It means you're walking in love. You're walking in peace. You're walking without bitterness and anger and hostility. It means you're free Now, please, let's put this together. You are not free if you still use the members of your body, your eyes to see what is unclean, your ears to listen to what is of the devil, your flesh to lust after that which is of the inner sexual nature that's unclean. Now, there is a clean sexuality That is not self-pleasuring, but is there to pleasure your partner, your marriage partner. Not a marriage between a man and a man. That's not a marriage. God invented marriage. There is a clean sexuality. There is a clean appetite. There is a clean of every side. We were made as human creatures. So yes, but it's when we go to the other side and we offer the members of our body in service to darkness, to go where we ought not to go, to say what we ought not to say, to bitterness and anger, to separation and divorce, abortion, the world's entertainment, We recognize that in all of this, we are the branches of Jesus Christ, and He is not going to always tolerate wickedness. He reaches a point where He says, Okay, no more, and the judgment. Door closes on our lives. I don't want that judgment door to close with me on the wrong side. And you can go about your life doing what you want to do, pleasuring yourself, honoring yourself, glorifying yourself, whether that's in building some great Christian ministry or whether it's building a great business. <clears throat> you can You can go through your life doing whatever you want to do. This time of probation belongs to you. And at the end, God will make a determination at some point about whether he will allow you to continue or cast you into the fire. Now, this is all very unpleasant. But... I think we have to look at reality. What have you decided about Jesus? He is the only escape hatch from this wicked, wicked world. And we all die from our sin. In the flesh, we all die. The only hope is deliverance through Jesus Christ. And in our spirit, we can have that deliverance today by faith In Jesus and abiding in Him and allowing Him to abide in us. So, what are you doing? What are you doing with this probationary time that you have on the earth? Are you going to be cut off and cast into the fire? I don't want to be cut off, and I don't want you to be cut off. I want you to walk in the glory of Jesus Christ. I don't want you to walk in the modern church and the wickedness and the worldliness of the, of the sentimental empty-headedness of the American church, thinking it can continue to sin against God and yet be saved. So anything that comes into my heart where the Holy Spirit begins to unveil for me, I'm going to quickly take that to Jesus and let it be crucified with Him. Well, we're out of time for this broadcast today. Tomorrow we're going to go much deeper. It'll be scary territory, but you need to hear it. So please come back tomorrow. If you haven't yet subscribed to our channel on YouTube, I Ask you please subscribe so that this word can go out more widely. I want you to know I speak these things without harshness in my heart, with great love and mercy and compassion from Jesus, with much weeping. I'll be praying this afternoon and this evening. We're still far from having the total amount we need to pay this month's rent for this airtime. We're still just more than, just over $1,000 short. So please, uh, would you consider helping us? Uh, We need your help. So as Jesus prompts you, would you give? You can go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online, or you can write directly to me. The address is on the webpage. God bless you, brother, sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.